three, two, one. Don, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, had a lot of fun last time and ready to do number two. But <laughs> gonna do it. Gonna do it right here. <laughs> Can't wait. Hi, and welcome to What's Best for Kids, the podcast that digs deep into what educators wish parents knew about education and what parents wish educators knew about parenting. I'm your host, Rob Copo. I'm the parent of two kids who went to public school, and I've been in public education for more than 25 years as a teacher, coach, and administrator. I'm currently the principal of Torrey Pines High School in San Diego, California, and every day I ask myself, what's best for kids? On today's show, we're going to talk about something every parent and educator struggles with, and that's the influence of social media and cell phones on our kids. With me to make sense of this complex topic is Don Collins, a retired educator and father of two. Don, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm glad that our original first, was it original or just the first? Well, it's the first episode with the two of us, but I got a lot of really great feedback about it. So people are asking when you were going to be back. Here I am. And so I decided to have you back for, uh, it, I wanted to have you back for this one because it's very connected to what we were talking about. It's sort yep. of the end result of yep. what we were talking about last time. We hit on some of the points, but I want to take a bit of a deeper dive into it because I listened to another podcast on this recently about uh, what we're seeing in the medical field when it comes mm -hmm. to the anxiety in our students. Yes, we know that. But now it appears to be affecting their biology, the way they're developing. There's data out there right now that the level of information our students are getting is, you know, your brain is affected, obviously. And with that level of information, it's stimulating puberty two years earlier than it used to come when you and I were kids. Wow. And it absolutely blew my mind when I heard this. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. The information age is physically affecting brains and the development of children. Is it, that would be physiological? We'll say yes, because uh, as we know, I majored in film. So <laughs> the, the science part of this. Well, what I know is that, and I'll say 10 years ago, I saw some tidbit of information about it. Kids receive 5,000 messages a day. And this was before the 4G, right? Before. Right. But when you think about all the advertisements in YouTube, 5,000 different in pieces of information, they're just, we're all bombarded with, but kids including. And, you know, I, I know I, I was scrolling through Facebook a couple of days ago and uh, yes, I'm old. And <clears throat> oh, you're the guy who still uses it. <laughs> and, and it said something, and, and actually it was Twitter. It was not Facebook. I was on Twitter and I, and I, I made the 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 poor choice of liking a bunch of those motivational how to improve your life Twitter uh, feeds, and 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 so they're constantly popping up. But one of them was said something like, "If you're with your family, put your phone down." And of course, at that moment, I was with my family, and I put my phone down, and I thought to myself, "I have the capacity as an adult who was not raised on a phone to to get that message and shut it down and put it away." But I don't know that kids today who, you know, this ubiquitous 724 water they swim in is all technology. And teachers are in the last, particularly in the last five years, and in teacher training programs, we're trying to compete with, um, you know, CGI graphics and 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 one second clips of, uh, of, of all these cooking shows or 
there's just no way humans brains human interaction isn't you know it gets boring it gets awkward it gets all those things but in that transmission there's also something that is deeper that comes with time that you can't get in a in a 60 second clip of 15 different cuts it, to be fair, I don't think it's the cooking shows that are really. <laughs> well, let me just <laughs> distracting say distracting the kids. I, but, you know, I I would challenge. The point is taken. Let me say this: you want to see how the impact on your kids' attention? Because I do this every year, and it and every year it gets the kids' ability to watch it gets shorter and shorter before somebody makes a comment or they're just the whole classroom falls to pieces. I will play chef. Uh, what is it? Hot chef. Top chef. Top chef. If you watch Top Chef, you'll see that it's even faster than every second. There's a there's a video edit every three quarters of a second, for, and in thirty seconds, you'll see literally fifty different video cuts between the broccoli, the flame, the the cook, the knife, the, 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 the and it's just your brain gets triggered every time the video cuts, which is why they're edited that way. It makes it exciting. It makes it fast. It makes it build suspense. I mean, and every show is like that, but the the, the cooking shows are intentionally like that, especially when you have something like a, a, the make a dress or these shows that are dealing with things that take time are intentionally cut to add drama and tension. If you go to a Julia Child video on, you know, beef bourguignon, there is a one and a half minute introductory clip where she turns her back, putting the beef into the oven for it's a 20 second with her back to the to the camera as they're panning along and it, the kids can't watch it. Well, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that, you know, I was a film major and not science, but we taught science all the time in that class because those are all called stingers. Right. You know, all the, the sound cues that you put in there and the news use them all the time. And um, uh I had to be this, and this was in 2002. I had to be really selective with what I showed because, you know, one of the greatest films ever made is um, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Right. Try showing that to a kid right. in 2022. Not happening. They will want to punch you in the face because <laughs> it, that movie is insultingly do. slow as far as they're concerned. They're like, have, have I been punished? Why are you making, making me watch yep. a 17-minute space stalking scene? <laughs> now, you know, and it was slow back then. Don't get me wrong. Kubrick was, uh, I don't know what he was thinking. Ahead of his time. Even I was sitting, rocking in my chair going, please make the stop, dad. Please make the stop. But um, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, you have some of the greatest artists on the planet who are tasked with one thing, and that is to make sure that somebody grabs their phone every few seconds. Right. So you've got incredibly talented, creative, smart people looking for new ways to do that. And we've asked teachers on campus to somehow compete compete with that with you know uh ap calculus and 10 years ago rihanna and and there were the, the resurgence of pop music which with uh first first direction and some of the other bands one direction <laughs> wow fake fan i'm a fan of zane once he left they're all dead to me um but but um <clears throat> that pop came back and it came back because the songwriter started putting f multiple more hooks and there if, within any new pop song in the last five or 10 years, they have um, multiple songs within the song in order to keep people's attention. And you don't have a 30 second guitar intro to a song or, you know, like uh, Elton John funeral for a friend. I mean, you don't have this 30 second wind 
growing into a an introduction because people pay attention for two seconds and turn it off. And and so you're just hit with Uptown Funk or whatever it is. Um, and then within that song, you're hit multiple different times with completely different versions of, of, of the pop structure of that same song. So what's the point? The point is that, that our attention has grown increasingly shorter and um, teachers are aware of that. But at the same time, uh, you can't have deep understanding in 30 seconds. You can't have deep understanding of three-dimensional calculus or deep understanding of, you know, you can't take Russian literature and understand it in 30 seconds because it's 1,200 pages, you know? Right. The, and, 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 and what Dostoevsky did or, you know, some of these characters, it takes the unfolding of that drama in order to understand how evil that dad is in the Brothers Krasnodar. It just, it's, you can't do it in 30 seconds. You need to have sustained attention. And... And it is being lost. And, and I notice that in myself. I get frustrated that I'm quick to watch, quick to read Twitter articles or other articles. But when it comes to sitting down to a more sustained, substantial novel, I, I'm, I, I shy away from it in a way that I didn't before. Right. I'll watch three episodes of Survivor, but I won't watch The Godfather. That's right. Because it would be too long. I've just watched three hours of random reality television, but didn't want to sit through one of the greatest American films ever made. I, you know, granted it would have been my 60th time seeing it. So <laughs> I kind of know how it ends. Um, but, and I'm going to not to split hairs a little bit, but I will push back because I, I didn't want to get too far into the distraction piece, although it's hard not to talk about that. But when you look at, um, when you use pop music as an example, you know, pop music in the, in the fifties and sixties was even shorter, but, you know, and, and if using pop music as an example, like those songs were two, two and a half minutes and a three minute song. What is this? And it got a DeVita like, you know. Right. And so. But I think you're right about but the, that was, the stinger piece. But that, that but those songs were short because the whole um, the whole concept of I mean, there wasn't even rock and roll. Right. I mean, it's it's, it's root music or, or race music, but it was it was just the very front end. They didn't even know what they were doing. Right, right, right. And, right. and it also might have been about recording times and studio time, and and whether it was worth the money to, uh, to to record longer. And and I, just to be clear, I'm a snarky mu music snob who's taken us on a bird walk <laughs> just to satisfy his own ego. So I want to be re real clear on. Well, that, and so. I'm, I'm just thinking of Jenny, Jenny, and like all these great um, Little Richard songs, which are amazing in two minutes. So. Well, I was thinking about it too because. Um, I, my wife and I keep playing uh, Sunshine and Lollipops all the time, and I can't believe how short it is. Sunshine, Lollipops. But look at the Beatles. I mean, look at the progression in a matter of, you know, from 64 to 70. You have this unbelievable uh, intricate development, which is, and of course, Peppers was part of the reason that things got elongated and, and stranger. And um... Hi, and welcome to Movie Talk, with, uh, or a Song Talk with uh, Robin Don. <laughs> Um, okay, so I'm going to bring us back to uh, education. Yes, uh, and in particular, because what what really inspired this episode for me was um, including the title "Algorithms and Anxiety." Is in um, when we were talking about our, the bubble wrapped yep. uh, kid, and they haven't faced some basic challenges growing up, and so then they get very anxious uh, when uh, they the do. world doesn't adapt to them. And I remember talking to the staff at one point going, this is well before COVID, trying to explain how YouTube works. 
and that, uh, especially this generation right now has grown up in a world where they click on one video yep. and immediately a hundred other videos are connected, trying to predict what they want to see. And the more you use it, the more it predicts. Right. And I mean, we all do this with Pandora. Um, you know, you put your likes in there and it eventually starts cultivating. That's part of the attraction of Pandora internet radio. But, uh, and, and this is something like with Netflix, I often will click yes. on movies I did watch in order to go down and see other, you know, movies other people watched or, or and so I like that feature, right? As an adult, it, yeah, not, I like it. it not has, being critical of the feature. Right. But if that's only been your experience growing Correct. up as a kid and you've got this device that adapts and constantly feeds you what makes you feel good, which are yep. likes and, and all of the stuff from social media. And you've got YouTube that's constantly feeding you only what you're interested in. Then you get to a world when as you start getting older and in the teen years, this is why, you know, I'm, I'm looking at so much anxiety in teens because it used to be that we had external issues that were coming at teens, Yep. you know, uh, uh, drinking and driving and all these externals. Now it's internal, yep. like emergency rooms are filled with kids with anxiety yep. right now. And that's, you know, in, in my opinion, from what I've seen in education, partly because we they have not learned how to develop to adapt on any level because they haven't had to. And we've got so much adapting for them. And as parents, we've done a little bit too. Let's make sure everything, we've bubble wrapped them. Let's make sure everything's working well for them so they're not experiencing any negativity or any problems. And then they haven't developed that skill. Right. I including, you know, the phrase around our house is you get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. You get, you know, whether, cause we'll go to Trader Joe's and they'll give them a sticker. Well, one kid gets a, a, a dog sticker then the oh, other, yeah. and the other oh, kid yeah. gets the cat sticker. I want the dog. You get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. You get the cat or you get nothing. I mean, period. Cause we're not going to play, let's find the sticker and what tell her, you know, what, what, what person has an extra dog or it, which, which, and, and, it, and it is one of the, and we talked about this last time. It's like, what I know is every parent is out looking to do their best for their kid. Every parent wants their kid to be independent, successful, and happy. And every parent is trying to do what they can to make their kid happy. The question is, is what making them happy in the short term eventually going to make them happy in the long term? And right. the ability to handle um, uncertainty, the ability to handle discomfort. I mean, this is, you know, the Buddhism is really based on life is suffering. And the way out of suffering is to diminish our need for pleasure and our um, reaction to pain you know i mean the acceptance of life being this continual flow of agreeable and disagreeable events yeah right i mean uh, how i react to agreeable and disagreeable events that's what determines my happiness or my suffering and that's one of the quotes i've shared uh frequently with staff and students is me? The old, your uh, quote me uh no no uh <laughs> No, often. And that's one of the quotes I've always liked to share with uh, um, students and staff is it's not about what happens in life. It's how you react to it that matters. Right. Because we've unfortunately, because anxiety is real and you and I have both seen it in students and family members and in in ourselves. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I, I'm not here to diminish anxiety on any level, but it can't be synonymous with discomfort. Correct. It's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to be nervous. I was incredibly anxious when I had to audition in front of 50 college scouts back when I was in high school. Um, I wouldn't now describe that as anxiety. I was anxious. I was nervous, but it's not true anxiety. 
And very often I'm, I'm seeing, or too often I'm seeing the reaction when a student's uncomfortable working too hard to make them comfortable again, right. rather than asking the question, well, what's making you anxious? What's making you nervous? And working through that with the students so they can identify in themselves. And what capacity do you have to address what it is that's a challenge or difficult? Yeah. Is it, are you just uncomfortable and it's because you expected somehow everybody to adapt to your individual needs? Mm -hmm. And is that practical in mm -hmm. a large comprehensive site, 2,600 students, you know, however many families that is, you know, probably 2,200 families roughly or more than that. Um, those are a lot of individual needs. And at a certain point, if a student's going to be successful, they've got to learn, whether it's in high school or college or later in life, they're going to learn at some point, you're going to have to adapt to the world around you. You can't stay in a bubble your entire life. And, and there's also a, uh, a, a, a level of metacognitive development that needs to happen in, in, in that we're recognizing our own thinking. And what I mean exactly. by that yes. is yes. Um, Anthony and I bought a, uh, an RV and um, we, 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 you know, the day that we put the money down and paid for it and we don't act, we didn't actually get to drive it home that day. Um, but we drove home and we were sitting and he was going off on how exciting it was and how, what great it's going to be for the kids and how it's going to, where we're going to go first and what he needs to buy. And he was just, and in my mind, all I thought about was, oh, the refrigerator is going to break down. We're going to get a flat tire. How are we going to get the sucker? You know, where are we going to put it? I mean, all, all, problem. It was all just problems because that's my, how my mind works. You know, that I'm a, a, I don't know, survivalist, whatever you want to call it. But my brain immediately goes to the problems, immediately goes to the challenges, immediately goes to what's going to go wrong. You know, this very pessimistic dude. Is this, is this Gen X? Can I say this? Yes, Gen very X? much. Oh, good. Well, of the generation. But, and, and, and in talking with someone about it later, they're like that, you know, it is likely that something's going to break down. It is also true that you have the capacity and the means to handle it. Right. And, and it was when, when I, at that time when it was happening, I really kind of spiraled and got, uh, it, I, I was frustrated that he was so happy, <laughs> which is sad. But I also <laughs> realized later that I have, you know, and guess what? I, I, you know, the gas heater for the water heater broke. Well, we, you know, it was under warranty. It was a, you know, inconvenient to have to go up there, but it ended up getting fixed. And it was, I, I've handled every single thing that's ever been in front of me. The difference is I'm 55, I'm not 15. And for a 15 year old, it's, you know, like with a, with other relationship, it's the first time their heart's been broke. It's the yeah. first time they've fallen in love. It's the first time they've been asked to a dance or not asked to a dancer. It's the first time. And so they don't have decades of experience that they can go back through and think to themselves, I've handled this, but this is where they start. And what I also know is from 15 to 25 is where you're establishing all those major brain connections about being capable and independent and self-reliant and resilient. And that's what we want to foster. Yes, I feel anxious and I have the capacity to handle what's in front of me. And if I don't, I can ask for help. And how could you not feel anxious if that first breakup blows up on social media. Of course. When somebody weaponizes it yep. against you yep. and has this incredible tool in their pocket right. to use it for ill will, you know. Because art. they think it's funny or because they want to get some shine uh, from their friends or, you know, 
Well, yeah. Because they want the likes because they need the hit of dopamine because yep. they haven't had anything in a while. Yep. And we had a talk about this with the team uh, recently about the second anything happens on campus, the phones are out. Nobody's intervening. Right. They're getting the phone out so they can somehow post it and be the one who posted it. Yeah. And we're struggling with how we're going to convince the kids to not want to do that because I can't ban phones. Right. You know, Ed Code says they can have them. They don't have to be on. And yes, we take them in class and put them in cubbies and all that. Um, but they have to be allowed to have the phone. So now I've got to try to figure out how to convince the kids culturally that this isn't the right thing to do. Right. To film everything. Somebody's worst moment is not something you should be posting because talk about creating long lasting anxiety in a kid. And, and, and of course, as a kid who, you know, feeds off a of TikTok and knows that that's what's going to happen. I mean, how couldn't you feel constantly, you know, it's hard enough to just go into the halls of a junior high or a high school, but to know that if your underwear sticking out of your pants or your whatever, that you're going to be put on blast, put on front street and, 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 and whether it's the ridicule that day. And I know I, I, I was doing a workshop, a, a summer workshop on um, bullying was one of the, the topics. And I had a gal who was a phenomenal student. She's now graduated from UCSD at 4.8 Tory grad. She spoke multiple languages. I mean, just I, one of the greatest recommendation letters I've ever written. I wrote for this kid. And she said, she told me that when or she actually told this group of students um, that when she was in eighth grade, she was being bullied and she could not stop herself from going home and going immediately online to check what was, right. what they had done, you know, what comments yeah. were being under the added or, and I thought, well, why not just check it? She goes, I couldn't not look at it. Right. And this was 10 years ago. She's now nearly 30, I'm sure. Uh, and things are much, much faster, much, much more difficult, much, much higher stakes. And, uh, and, and I would say that, that as an adult, I really don't understand it. You know, I can't say that I understand. My first reaction is not to pull my phone out and film stuff. I'm all, I'm always shocked at how many videos there are of all sorts of stuff. I, I don't, and I also, I mean, I've got 50,000 pictures of my kids on my phone and maybe a hundred videos because, and I think back, God, I wish I would have videoed more, but that's not my, that's my, not my go-to. Cause that's not, I was raised with a Polaroid. Right. I, I, well, yeah, we were also raised thinking there was an atomic weapon was going at any moment. So welcome to being Gen X, but yeah. And, and that's what hit us the other day as an admin team, we were talking about it. It's like, cause we've had a number of cases where the good news, bad news is we've got a bunch of videos up. Right. And as we got the videos, we're like, well, now we've got the evidence that's kind of helpful. And one of my APs looked at me and said, well, so do we really want to discourage this? Because at least we've got clarity on what really went on. And I did, you know, the classic, you know, in my day, we didn't have these <laughs> cell phones when I was an assistant principal and we just had to make a decision. Um, and we had to interview people. And we talk had to, to talk to kids. My day. Um, and we liked it. Immediately grumpy old man. Um, but we did, we talked to more kids and we, it was more difficult. We had to then make, uh, use our discretion to figure out what really went on and make a decision, have to defend it. We didn't have a video, but I'm like, I'd rather do that. Yes. It's more work because I don't want this kid's worst moment of his life right up to that point on blast, as you said. And, and the other thing is what, what I hate about it is that if it's not on video, then it didn't happen. Right. And, right. We, you know, you look at uh, 
some of the police unrest, uh, the, 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 the um, social unrest, you know, that we have video evidence of all this stuff that has happened. And, and the question is, if the video didn't exist, would the same consequences be going on? Right. right. Um, yeah, it's complicated, particularly because, again, as a, as a Gen Xer, I, I don't have the brain of an iGen kid. I don't, I just don't think like that. I, um, it, I'm glad you brought that up because um, one of the things that also inspired me about this book is the data is increasing. And yep. there's a book called iGen, as a matter of fact, yep. by Jean Twangy, who uh, spoke at uh, Tory Pines a couple of years ago. And she's collecting the data. She's a, a professor at San Diego State University, has done the, the hard work of the research on this. And it's an incredible book. If anyone's listening, highly recommend picking it up. Uh, and I don't like blaming one thing, but it's hard to read Jean's book. It's hard to work with teenagers every day and not look at the device and say, this is a problem. And I, and I would add, it's not the device. It's really um, the 4G or the 5G. It's the speed. And, and true. Be, okay. because true. the speed People had phone, you know, people had flip phone texting in the 90s that, but you can see on a graph if you, you know, Google anxiety and iPhone uh, speed, mm -hmm. the, the, the internet speed, once that four or five G hit and people were able to play video games constantly. And, and, and I know that myself, I check, I, I, having done seminars and conferences and workshops with kids about the effect of the phone and the impact. I, 20 years ago, I was teaching junior, 25 years ago, I was teaching junior high and they, and, and I had I'd just done a week long silent retreat and I was talking to the kids about it. And I said, look, let's just unplug for 48 hours, one week at pizza party to the class that can everyone, uh, it, it'll be a, a honesty kind of thing, right? I, I sent an email, had the kids write a letter, but this was just about unplug your video game and your, uh, and your uh, TV, right? And your computer for 48 hours. So from, it was six o'clock Friday to six o'clock Sunday, so they could do their homework. And, it, and it was like, that's impossible. How do you not, you know, that was in 1997, right? You could right. imagine right. telling a kid, no, no screen for 48 hours. They, they can't do it. And that's, and the, it's a powerful tool. I love having directions. I love having Yelp. I love, I love a lot of stuff about it, but I can live without it. But a lot of these kids, and then the other thing is to look at the screen time. I, you know, to have kids look at their own screen time over the week. I had a girl who 13 hours of texting. Wow. I mean, it was 13 hours of, you know, because it breaks it down. Right. Right. But hers was like her, you know, and there were, there's this rise in, in tendonitis or thumb surgeries for, for, for teens because of all the texting and the, and the, and the video games. Um, so it, it is a new, it's, it's, it's a, it's a dawn of a new era in a way that the, the developers understand because they're, you know, and if you look at uh, Silicon Valley nanny applications, they say no screens, right? They, the nanny has to con has to sign a, a, a commitment on the contract that they're not going to put a screen in front of their kid because the developers up in Silicon Valley know the impact of, of brain. And we had uh, 
for a yellow ribbon week, um, the the uh, Dr. Doan, who was the chief addiction, he was the director of addiction for the U.S. Navy, and he also was an uh, an eye doctor and a neurologist. So, and he talked about how the eye and the brain are so closely connected. But he did mostly stuff about video game addiction. That was his specialty. But the whole discussion was about the impact of screens on mood and how we use it to make ourselves feel better. But again, it's a short-term dopamine rather than long-term serotonin. And I, I get it. Like we've spent the last several years talking about we know the impact of phones. You know, uh, Gene's got the data. Other people's uh, other people have the data. Undeniable. Yes, it, the, the, the scientific evidence on it is, is incredibly clear. That doesn't make the challenge parents face or educators face any easier. And this isn't toothpaste that's going back in the tube. That's right. And it's all the solution is also not throw away the phone. I, right. I don't take my phone, right? Which is why I never took kids' phones because I don't know, you know, there's no phone, there's no thing in a workplace where you they take your phone unless you're like in a, a, a high security skiff. Skiff? A so boat? No, that's a that's a skiff with a K. This is okay. skiff with an acronym. You can Google it. Okay. Um, but I, I, there, there's uh, the uh, the educational futurist Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek, who talked about um, what also gets lost with the phones, and I've noticed for myself intentionally choosing not to participate with phones when I'm in a line. Everyone gets bored that we're in a line. All of those small conversations with our neighbors, with the people at the grocery store, all these things that make us feel connected, all the, 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 how's your mother? Is she still sick? Or, oh gosh, I saw your house. It looks great for you decorated for Halloween. All these ways that, all the, that develop the fabric of our human existence are being lost because we're encapsulated in the texting chat thing that we've got going on with our four best friends right that are around the country and i feel connected to them but i don't feel connected to my greater world and you know the, the i thought about the last couple of years of teaching how classroom management has changed so much from what it was uh you know 10 15 years ago because kids don't they're not standing up doing all sorts they're not out of their chairs they're glued to their phone playing a video game they're not even talking to their neighbor well, the, the classroom management piece, too, has been incredibly difficult because a student will take out their phone in class and will say, you got to put your phone away. And they'll say, well, it's a text from my mom. I have to take it. Correct. And it's the middle of the class. It's like, well, now are you going to be that guy? Right. Who said your mom shouldn't be interrupting my class. I don't know what it's about. I don't know what's going on at home. Correct. You could have a sick relative and mom's contacting you. for it, But we have this tether, this leash now right. that's in the classroom at all times. And a teacher's got to be respectful of that. And yet we're getting called on all the time to just ban phones entirely. Like they're not allowed to bring them to school. And like, well, again, that's illegal. I can't do that. They have to be able to have phones. Uh, and we've got to manage it. But that management, that, that it's, a, it's a tidal wave that a teacher has brought a bath towel to the fight, you know, to try right. to protect you. And there's, no tidal wave. and there's no teacher training really about how to address, you know, phones in, in a meaningful way. You know that I I I never got you know I don't know of any seminar other than put them in the caddy and don't let them use it right and 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 I just going back to my the 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 difference in generation in 2010 it was my first year teaching at Tory I was teaching business math and there was a kid named Joe uh, 
I'm using his name so you know I'm not lying. But the truth is, I told him. <laughs> you could be lying about his name. I'm just saying. <laughs> I said, Joe. I'm not sure you know how lies work. <laughs> he was turned around. I said, Joe, I need your attention up here in class, and please don't pass notes in class. And he looked at me. He goes, dude, who passes notes? <laughs> we And the whole class burst out laughing. He goes, it was a chocolate. I wasn't passing a note. And then. <laughs> Later on, I was going around uh, uh, correcting papers, and he, you know, he had this very overt, uh, intentional, caught my eye, passing this very big note that said, uh, "Business math is so much fun. It's like the bee's knees." And I thought, "That's twenties. Oh, that's swell. Thanks." <laughs> I said, "Bee's knees is nineteen twenties, not nineteen eighties." So it just should have been a Rubik's cube reference, Joe. That's the bunk. <laughs> that's. That's rad. Oh, now you're talking 80s. Yeah. That was totally awesome. That This business math is gnarly. Gnarly. Okay. Um, so, and, and we've faced the struggle. You're about to face the struggle um, because your kids are younger than mine. Yep. And I distinctly remember that dilemma of whether I was going to let my kid be a social pariah. And right. not have a smartphone. And I, I was lucky because of my, the age of my kids, at least with my son, I missed that a little bit. I don't think yep. he got his first smartphone until high school. And then they were pretty normalized by the time my daughter was in middle school. So I I, I want to say maybe this is me looking back and patting myself on the back. But I think we waited until eighth grade before she got a smartphone. Um, and it, But now I can't even imagine. You know, we, yep. we know uh, kids are having them all through elementary and in middle school and in high school. They're raised on them, right? Right. I uh, mean, and they are a practical tool. Yep. You want to know where your kid is. Let's face it, we're, we're afraid at schools that there's going to be a crisis. Yep. We want our kid to have that tool so that we can get a hold of them and know they're safe. And also pick up for after school or sports or what have you. And, and that's my favorite thing. I still get calls every so often. Can you go on the loudspeaker and have my kid meet me out front? I'm like, <laughs> We have 2,600 students here. It's a large campus. And I'm pretty sure if only they made a device where you could find your kid, you still get that call. Yeah. It's and like, and I almost want to support them. I'm like, well, maybe that kid doesn't have a phone. That's fantastic. Let's support this parent. <laughs> but the other thing is how the parent might use the, the mapping thing to really, you know, like I know exactly where you're at um, because this is like, these these questions of trust like is it great for to know where your kid is yes is it better to trust your kid you know it's one of those you know the reagan trust but verify um there's no way i can be everywhere my kid is for the rest of their life right i can't and to try to raise them in order to be independent means i have to trust them which means they have privacy in their room until they show me that they don't that, that they don't earn that they didn't earn that trust right but you've got to trust them in a different world than you and i grew up and you've got to Correct. trust them in a world where there are massive dragons coming for them at all times and and correct and 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 what the phone does is open the entire world child molesters whatever into our home you know at, at all hours of the day right through these devices yep. whether you go computer, all the way back to just a computer iPad, screen right, an ipad yep. whatever it might be and of course, we are also a one-to-one -one district, so we've handed kids a device. Correct. And we've locked it down, and we've done all these things that we can try to do to keep them focused on using it as a tool, just like a textbook. 
but we're simultaneously talking about screen time while we're giving them screens, yep. which is easy to say is hypocritical. My argument has always been, let's teach them how to use the screen yep. rather than just try to take the, the tool away from them. And also how to teach them how not to use the screen. Right. 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 At which I think like for ourselves, one of the reasons we got the RV that I was talking about is because we want to get out in nature. We want to go where there's no Wi-Fi. We want to be where it's just trees. And, and I know for myself going up the mountain, once we hit it, it just changes my mood. I also know when I put kids in front of the TV, whether it's an hour or two hours, they could watch, the longer they watch it, the more they want to cry and freak out when you turn it off. Right. Right. Because kids shows are developed to flip and keep your attention just like hot chef and once first... again top chef for <laughs> all the top chef fans listening i apologize for don it is an amazing show that i love very much <laughs> so how do we normalize and incorporate not being on a screen because the the, the research is thir 13 hours a day and if you look at your own and i don't mean just on your phone but if you look at how much time we spend in front of a screen the 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 average is 13 hours and that is scary because it's TV. It's terrifying. And, it's and I don't know that we can. I, I think, um, well, they're I, not, I don't mean to be fatalist here. If but they're in the water, they're not on a screen. If they're playing volleyball, true. they're not on a screen. If they're playing baseball, they're not, if they're climbing a tree, they're not on a screen. Like, and, and True, but my mom wouldn't let me have Pop-Tarts growing up. <laughs> okay. And the very first thing I did when I got to college, when I was on my own, was buy all the Pop-Tarts I possibly could. Icing? So, Are you an icing? I, oh, yes. Okay. Cherry frosted with the icing. On that, we're going to have to disagree. No. Okay. You're wrong, but that's fine. Well, the frosting, um, first of all, always. What's your Pop-Tart then? Blueberry. Blueberry? I didn't blueberry. even know they made blueberry. I'm kidding. Oh, you're the guy who eats the blueberry. I, I used that joke earlier on Facebook. No I can't use it twice. <laughs> no frosting. I no like... frosting. No. 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 No frosting. No. I don't like that it got hot and burned against the side of the toaster because they always fall over. No, you have to do, oh, you have to handle it just right. No. Yeah, because if you burn the Pop-Tart at all, or yeah. like you're two that, seconds off in the toaster, that good. frosting turns into something that's probably not meant for human consumption. That's right. All right. But what I, what I want to get back to is... I, we want to control the device and we can, I agree with you. If you take the kids when they're young and they get used to other things that yep. don't involve a screen, they're less likely to get too obsessed. If you can find a balance between it, you completely pull it away and just say, no, you oh, can't have this thing. Right. It becomes my pop tart bit. Um, right. So for everyone at home that there was a reason for the pop tart segue. <laughs> um, but what I want to get to is what I, you know, with all of this input, this, absolute massive as i said dragon flood fire breathing dragon flood of information that's coming at your kids every day um no wonder they're anxious no wonder there are anxiety disorders yep. uh and we take them at face value as we should a student says you know this creates anxiety in me but our reaction is to fix it right rather than discuss it and analyze it Understand and i think it. if we can help as you said earlier the goal should be to Let's dig in. Okay, what's making you anxious to start asking questions, which parents may not be equipped to do, well, but it is a reality now that we're parents that we have to face. We have to learn how to help our kids manage their reaction to the device, not just the device. And I'm, do you know, you know what I mean? I do. And, and what uh, the thing that's coming through my mind is what Krishnamurti said, the solution is in the problem. The mm. solution is not outside the problem. We love to look everywhere else right other than at the problem 
but it's an understanding. I think that's exactly right. Yes. It's an, well, Krishnamurti, pretty smart guy. It's an understanding the problem. And that was from a, a short essay on uh, called awareness, awareness, um, Terrence Stamp, YouTube. <laughs> You're just saying words now. <laughs> Terrence Stamp is an actor who reads <laughs> an essay called awareness. He's an English actor. Jake Krishnamurti. That was your English accent? <laughs> Let's leave the acting to the professionals, Don. Jay Krishnamurti. The solution is in the problem. We look everywhere else, keep very busy, uh, and 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 address. And again, it's often a, one of these conditions things. When you create the conditions, you um, you you get the result of the conditions you've created. Yes. So the question is, how do I create the condition? Because the, the 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 anxiety is a symptom. It's not the problem. The anxiety is the resulting symptom of my uh, lack of belief in myself to address my lack of my own my own understanding of my resilience, right? Uh, my my maybe the lack of experience I have in in addressing challenges in front of me, and and that starts with how many challenges have I had? You know, how many challenges have been mowed out of my way so that I haven't had to face those things? Right, right. We talked about that with the bubble wrapped, but. But this larger, you know, again, the word ubiquitous, it's the, the phone, the, the internet stuff, it's everywhere. There's no escaping at the screens. Um, and, th and that, and I think even whether you're talking about poverty, you know, I, I don't think that this problem, I don't, I, I think this problem exists in every school, right? Absolutely. Regardless of every school in the world. Correct. You know, not just our country. So, and, and, we, and what I also know is I don't have the answer. But I know that part of the answer is in developing um, a habit where the phone isn't the center, you know, where it's relationship. So at mealtime, there's no screens at the table. You know, it's just primary. And that, that mealtime exists, that, that inner, human interaction is mm -hmm. held as important. And that includes mostly the modeling, right? I mean, if I'm in line at the bank or in the, at the Costco or whatever, and I'm on my phone, Rather than maybe interacting with the the teller or the 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 clerk or the person in line with me, because those are the ways that I uh, connect to my humanity, right, and connect to my neighborhood and connect to my community. And particularly, with, I brought up that uh, Simon Sinek because what he was saying is that he suggests when he does those uh, conference or when he does the um, trainings at leadership things for companies. He tells them when you're having a staff meeting, no phone goes into the meeting because rather than having those small little interactions during the time before and after people are on their phone. And so all of that sense of connection that people get when you have those small discussions don't happen. And those are the things that strengthen the relationships that strengthen the effectiveness and efficiency of, of the of whatever group of people are endeavored in doing. And it goes beyond, we've heard this, you know, a thousand times, you know, sit down and have dinner with your kids and make that a priority. And we know we have busy families and all that, but you got to sit. It's more than just sitting down at the table and having dinner. I can sit down and have the dinner with my family and I can talk about the Padres or the Chargers or right. the weather. But if I'm not talking about Something the meaningful. other things, something meaningful, uh, um, um, something important, then I'm not, I'm not building that sense of self in my, my kids that they really, really need. I'm not asking, oh, you were upset about a test today? Why? What happened? Right. Rather than, 
you were upset about a test today. I better email the teacher and make sure this doesn't ever happen again. Right. Um, if we really want to fix the problem, we can't just fix the immediate problem. Like you said, you've got to dig down a little deeper and find out what's the real problem. Right. What problem are we truly trying to solve? If the problem is you're trying to make your kid feel better, you're not solving the problem. You're giving them the pop tart. Correct. You know, um, I, clearly I want a pop tart right now. Um, you know, right here, I've got this little jar of questions that you can he, see. He really I'm not lying. <laughs> Suddenly it sounds like we're the worlds around here. Uh, that was the jar on the table. Um, because we are at my dinner, uh, my dinner table. What did you, uh, what did you do to help someone today? Did you hear anything weird or funny today? These are all little questions that I have with my four-year-old conversations from school. Mm -hmm. You know, wh who did you help? Who did you sit with at lunch? And because it's become a habit, it's something that they're used to doing with me. I don't only have discussions with them from these cards, but it's something they look forward to. They love pulling them out and discussing them. And as they get older, I mean, a lot of those questions would work for teenagers. Do you like this jar? The... It, it could, if it could be noisier, you can. <laughs> I'm just trying. Those are okay. the questions. Right. They're away now. Um, but those discussion questions, there are books, there's websites, there's a million ways. I, I know um, the, this is something that I, I don't want. Teachers at the start of the school year, do a million different icebreaker name games ways to get and kids love the first two weeks of school because it's exciting and and, and there's a lot of these soft skill relationship building stuff going on um and then it stops and teachers wonder why october november especially october yeah. it gets very long and very difficult because we're now in the meat and the grind and all of that stuff that makes kids feel connected and seen and understood isn't focused on anymore. When five or 10 minutes of that every class would extend that kid's ability, it would actually be, it, it would it would generate an, an extra hour's worth of better effort. And that's why there's been such a big push for social emotional learning in schools and having breaks. We've got it's what proven we call, effective. right. We've got what's called our SC time or student connection time every other week at Tory. Wish there was a way to get it every week, but we need staff collaboration too. And it gets to that, this balance that all parents and educators are trying to strike. And, you know, schools are pushed for rigor. We want to make sure the rigor is high so the kids are learning a lot. Um, but the rigor can't be too high or that's going to stress them out. And there's this fine line that parents are trying to struggle with all the time between how hard do I push my kid or how much do I mow things out of their way yep. so that... and we can't seem to find that balance right now. And in my experience as a principal, I've seen a lot on either extreme. And I feel like that middle ground of the people who are finding the balance is getting smaller. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's got me a little concerned. And that's what led to uh, this episode in particular and trying to, we're not going to answer it today. Right. I, I, I get that. But I think we've talked through some strategies already that can work and, and just acknowledging that, the difference between discomfort and anxiety, I think, is one of the key points for us to take away as parents because there's a huge difference. And as an adult, to ask the kid, what's it like? You know, to, what, what are you worried about? What stresses you out? What generates your anxiety? You know, where does that, what's the source of it? Because that's one of the ways to understand the problem better. Right. And, and, uh, and to really listen. Right. To the students, because I can tell without you right, a solution. 
Right. Trying not to fix it necessarily. Just listen to them. Yep. And because I, and that's going to take time. It's going to take multiple conversations uh, because at the heart of a lot of these conversations, the reason the student was stressed out about the test or whatever happened at school, it's because they're worried about displeasing their parents. Right. Or Every kid at their core wants to please their parents. Yep. And if getting into Harvard is what's going to please your parents, or if that's the way the kid perceives it, anything that trips them up for that is going to create anxiety for them. Mm -hmm. And then they're not going to want to tell the parent that. Mm -hmm. And so if the parent's not really listening and picking up on what's going on, they're going to think, okay, well, but they, they'll feel better if they get into Harvard. So how do I fix that problem? Mm -hmm. And now both of uh, the parent and the student are stressed. Yeah. Yeah. Understanding is, is, uh, there's a, there's a lot of receptivity and understanding what, and, and, you know, I spent a lot of my life trying to grind and smash and push and resolve. And, and this is not about trying to resolve it. This is about trying to understand it. It's about helping them learn how to resolve it for themselves. Correct. It's the ownership of their own emotion and intellect and desire and motivation. Once they own that and can uh, process that themselves, the student, then that anxiety, that anxious, that discomfort will go away because they built the confidence to work through it. And I would say also own their own resilience. Yes. I mean, you know, we were talking, I don't, the difference you know, having taught at Torrey Pines, this comprehensive, large, um, you know, well-to-do area and teaching at Sunset, this continuation school, you know, one of the main differences was that I saw, especially as a newer teacher um, at Sunset, the phenomenal resilience and intelligence and ability of students to overcome incredible adversity, you know, that the kids were considered at risk, I think, you know, in, in large part, every kid's at risk because there's so, so many things that happen. But but these kids have had real significant losses uh, and, and challenges. And uh, and there was, you know, Helen Keller said there's a lot of suffering in the world and there's also a lot of overcoming of suffering. And I think that we often don't trust ourselves and don't, you know, maybe I don't trust myself enough as a parent or don't trust myself enough as 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 a as a teacher and don't trust the kid that they have the capacity, right? I mean, that's where, where I, I, I might've fallen short, but, but the great thing about that experience is I started to grow and understand that kids really, I mean, I remember a conversation I had with a counselor about this kid that I was just absolutely adamant had to graduate in June and the kid wasn't working. And I was so wrapped around the axle and frustrated because I did everything I could to try to help this kid finish this class so he could graduate. And the counselor said, well, maybe, and this counselor had been at that school for 20 years, maybe he doesn't want to graduate in June. Maybe that's not, you know, I'm like, no, he has to. It's June is when people graduate. She says, no, there are a lot of people that don't and they do, they do just fine. Right. And maybe there are other things in front of him. I mean, there's a, had you, you know, what else is he dealing with? Does he have a job? Is someone sick at home? And I hadn't had those conversations. I hadn't asked, you know, so um, timelines and that, those expectations can make it so I, I get such blinders on, I can't see the bigger picture, right? And the bigger picture is what's what's actually happening? And can I step back enough to understand it? And, to, and, and when I understand it, as a parent, I'm able to help my, you know, the kid understand it, or as a teacher, as an adult, 
as the adult is understanding, they might be able to help a, a struggling teenager understand it better. And particularly as someone helped me see, I do have the capacity and resilience to handle challenges that are in front of me. And I have to remind myself of that because I do get anxious. And maybe I, I think now we've kind of come, you know, full circle on this. What was the quote you said earlier about the, the solution is in the problem? That's what, that was the quote. Right. So <laughs> glad I remembered that. Thank you. But, uh, parent stamp reading Jay Krishnamurti. Please don't do the English accent again. Um, Awareness. we're going to get phone calls, but, um, if the problem is in the solution, so the problem is human connection because that's what the students are getting out of the phone, right? And you were talking earlier, well, okay, you can have human connection at the table. We can take them to the beach. We can get them away from that. And maybe that's exactly what we're talking about. If, if the problem is human connection and the phone's giving it to them. Well, so what are the other ways we can create that connection yeah. so that there's less of a desire for the phone? You can find that balance. Cause I, I don't think blaming the phone and just taking them away is, is going to solve that problem. It gets no. back to my pop tart piece. But if we can find that balance by having the difficult conversation, creating the connection, because I can tell you that, you know, I've had a bad habit over my life of uh, eating dinner in front of the TV. End of the long day, I need yep. something else in my head and we've done it. And every single time we sit down and do something else, I have a blended family and it has really helped when the kids and their stepmom and I sit down and have dinner because we can talk about things we wouldn't otherwise if we were watching something right. and we're all adults, you know, right. so it's easy to get in front and put a game on or do whatever it might be. But for the four adults to get together and have that connection, it changes our relationship as human beings dramatically. And we're all addicted to our phones. I mean, I'm a high school principal. I'm on it constantly. I have, you know, uh, my wife and, and both kids are on them all the time, but at that table, yep. uh, we start having real conversations. My son just quit one job and got another one because of those conversations. It was a difficult conversation to have with him. And I had to sit and listen. And my wife, uh, was the one who came up with us and he needs to leave. He's working at a bagel place. He, she's like, he needs to leave that and go get an internship. And so I went and talked to him about it and sure enough, he gave us two weeks notice. And a week wow. later, got an internship with this data analytics, sports data analytics thing that he really wants to do. And yeah. it came from a conversation of us sitting around at the table, listening to what was going on with him, him being stressed out, him being really frustrated about, you know, work and tired and all that. And it was a hard conversation because I had to push a 22 year old a little bit to make a, a better decision. It wasn't easy. Boy, was it worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So to wrap this up, thanks so much, Don. I, this is not an easy topic and probably will not be the last time I talk about it on this podcast because this is something every educator is facing, every parent's facing. Every human, right? I right. mean, everybody's got phones. And, 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 and how am I aware? And that may be like I know for my workouts, I've got a do not disturb focus thing. Uh, you know, I know for a lot of workers, uh, people working at home, especially they've got that deep work time from eight to 12 where, you know, they're doing their meetings and their emails after that. But, but to help kids develop the skills to handle the technology so that it's a tool that supports them rather than this, this uh, overwhelming uh, albatross that grinds them down uh, because of their incessant um, attachment and, and lack of awareness and understanding about the, the more human aspect that is eternal, right? I mean, you sit in front of the ocean, you go up to the mountains, you feel it. I don't care. You could take, and, 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 and knowing the result of kids 
especially having worked at Sunset, kids who have been really addicted to phones, that it just turns into a really, really, really dangerous, difficult, you know, depressions and, and all sorts of bad decisions get made in that isolation. So this is really, you know, you talked about human connection at the very, at the basic level, like reducing the isolation people can feel. Isolation is a problem. It's the root of, of suffering. It, and particularly, um, oh gosh, I can't think of the thing. The man's inability to sit in the room alone with himself is the root of all problems is, uh, I think therefore Descartes said that, and it's true. Very. And, 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 uh, and for kids, they're never alone because they're constantly on their phone. Right. And so learning how to, and, and personally mindfulness practice meditation, that is the, the formal way to, to develop that relationship with yourself. And it is a proven research-based proven mind, you know, and this can be secular mindful practice. It doesn't have to have any kind of religious connotation whatsoever, but a mindfulness practice is the, uh, it just cuts at anxiety. It cuts at depression because over time it develops this relationship with yourself, which is what a lot of people are missing, especially teenagers addicted to their phone. Well said, Don, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a tough conversation, but I'm glad we had it. We uh, hopefully gave everybody a little bit to think about. Right on. Thank you. I look forward to being back. That's all for today's episode. I want to thank my guest, Don Collins, for joining me today. And I want to thank you for listening. If you found our conversation thought-provoking and want to know more, I hope you rate and subscribe in whatever app you use for podcasts. But more importantly, I hope you stay curious and keep asking, what's best for kids? <laughs> gotcha. <sighs> Glad to be back. Okay. Um, Hello to the people. <sighs> uh, note to Rob, you're going to edit that piece out. <laughs> doing number two <laughs> together hold my hand stop actually talking. stop talking for well, the no. love of God. Stop talking. as the father of four-year-old twins mm -hmm. everything we do is about the potty okay. it's all potty yeah we'll make it about the potty cast okay <laughs> that was really good and unscripted i could verify there's no script no here. there is definitely no script <laughs> And doing number two was not number two <laughs> on your list. Yeah. No, no um, it got weird, didn't it? <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs>